Today on Blue 58, the Packers took care of business against the Chicago Bears and moved to 5-1 and one on the year. How did it go down? Let's talk about it. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. The Packers beat the Bears, which is always nice. It's like going to an old favorite restaurant and getting something you get pretty frequently. You know, it may not be the flashiest dish in the world. It may not be something that, you know, is necessarily all that exciting all the time. But you like it, it's familiar, and every time you get it, you end up pretty satisfied, and that's beating the Bears. You know, it it doesn't have to be exciting to be great, and uh, that's how the Packers played pretty much today. Aaron Rodgers owns the Bears, if you hadn't heard, uh, reminding fans in Chicago that uh, no matter what the future may hold, he is in charge of the present and the NFC North is going to run through Green Bay for the foreseeable future. Look, very nice win today. 24-14, Packers were in control pretty much throughout, and it seems like the Packers pretty much decided, hey, you know what? We're better than the Bears. So what we're going to do today is just not screw things up. We're shorthanded a little bit on offense still. Offensive line is not necessarily where we'd like it to be, especially after uh, things went the way they did early with Josh Myers. The defense is not quite where we want it to be either, especially in the secondary. So let's just not screw this up and count on us being better in a few other areas than the Bears are. And I think that contributed a little bit to a slow start. But an overall pretty conservative game plan. Lots of short and intermediate passing. Lots of Aaron Jones. Lots of A.J. Dillon. Lots of taking what's there. Something you've got to do against a good defense ends with a Packers victory. If you want to spin this a different way, you could call this their ongoing get-well strategy. We've talked about the Packers being in a position where they're playing basically get-well games for a while here. You're just trying to do what you can to win. You're not trying to impose any kind of identity, really, on uh, on whoever you're, you're beating. You're not trying to be even the best version of yourself something we talked about in our Patreon picks column this week. The Packers are a ways off from peaking, it feels like. You're just trying to keep getting wins however you can, and the Packers are doing just that. Now, before we dive into what went well and what didn't in this game, I feel like we've got to talk a little bit about why the Packers won. And I think a big reason why the Packers won was because, well, call it the Ben Roethlisberger outcome. Rewinding a couple weeks, the Packers beat the Steelers in part because Ben Roethlisberger was bad. The Packers didn't play particularly well against the Steelers, and I kind of get the sense that if the Steelers went into that game with like a league average quarterback, it might have been a different outcome. Roethlisberger missed a few throws there in that game that really could have turned the tide there. That's kind of how things shook out today. The Packers beat the Bears in part because rookie quarterback Justin Fields looked like a rookie quarterback. 16 of 27 for 174 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. That interception comes with a little bit of an asterisk. If Bears Bears fans want to say that the offsides situation there, the free play, um, should have gotten a second look or should have been called correctly in the first place or what, what have you, I am not, you know, not in disagreement there. It certainly looked like there were some offsides, but this game in general was pretty poorly officiated, so I can't really blame them for missing a call there. And on top of that, the Packers had a couple things taken away from them too. 
it just seems like the Bears were really held back by Fields in this game. Or maybe, maybe the Bears were holding Fields back. Because late in that game, in the drive the Packers or that, that took the Bears to within three points of the Packers, 17-14, it looked like Fields was playing like a first-round draft pick. The offense had opened up a little bit. They were getting him on the perimeter, letting him sort things out with his athleticism and big arm. And it looked like things were working. But that was the exception rather than the rule. And when he was playing the sort of conservative, navigate the offense, just find what's there and and get it, hit these precise throws, things like that, offense, it couldn't work. It doesn't seem like that's his game. Faithful listener Ricard out of Sweden uh, messaged me after the game and asked if I thought that the Bears would have won this game if Andy Dalton was at quarterback. Obviously, you can't say that for sure. But I feel like a quarterback like Andy Dalton, maybe in the short term at least, raises the floor on the Bears' offense. And a higher floor might have beat the Packers today. Fields probably, certainly, certainly, I shouldn't say probably, certainly has a higher ceiling than Andy Dalton. The physical gifts and traits he has, I mean, even we saw some of it today. He can run all over the field. It looked like 2002 Michael Vick sometimes. He has tremendous physical gifts, but we didn't see that often enough today. They just needed, they wanted him to be a, you know, execute the basic stuff type of quarterback. And it doesn't seem like that's his game. And it makes you wonder why the Bears want him to play like that so badly. Take the training wheels off. The Bears fell into a Ferrari here. Don't just use it to go get groceries. The Packers shouldn't feel bad about taking advantage of that, I should say. Because no matter how this game turned out, no matter how they got to this result, the result is what matters. And the result is a Packers team that is at 5-1. and one. Five and one, we should add, for the third time in three years. The Packers started five and one, uh, running all the way to seven and one, in fact, in, in 2019. Uh, in 2020, they got to five and one before dropping game number six or seven and dropping to five and two. And now they are five and one again. And it's that game that moved them to five and two last year that actually came to mind as, as I was thinking about this game today. That game last year was the Packers' home loss to the Minnesota Vikings, a 28-22 snoozer that featured the Packers pretty much getting shut down, not so much by the Vikings, but by the wind. That game featured a lot of long, slow, drawn-out drives, and for most of the game, that's what this game felt like. It felt like there were going to be a lot of long, slow drives. A short game, as it were. But the Packers did a better job of avoiding mistakes. And in a game with few possessions, neither side can really afford to make mistakes at all. The Packers prevented more mistakes than the Bears did and won. The Bears made the mistakes and the Packers were there to take advantage. Mistakes like, you know, throwing an interception when you're trying to throw the ball away. Mistakes like taking a sack, taking two sacks, to push you out of field goal range when you desperately need points. The Packers didn't make those kind of mistakes, even if they did make some strategic decisions that we'll talk about here in a second that seem a little bit suspect in, in hindsight. But overall, the Packers 
did what they needed to do to win, and they won. Let's talk about some good things. First thing I want to talk about, first good thing that comes to mind here is balance. Now, I think balance is overrated as a concept uh, in offensive strategy in general. I think we get this idea, and a lot of the people who write about football and are committed to a certain way of the game being played, let's put it that way, maybe a little bit old-fashioned way of, of playing the game, are really really obsessed with this idea of running the ball exactly as much as you pass it. 50-50 split between run and pass. I think that's a really poor way of looking at balance. To me, your offense is balanced not when you can run the same amount of runs as passes, but when you can do them equally well and deploy them successfully in the appropriate situations. And to me, The offense today was very balanced. They passed and passed well when the opportunities were there. There's a stat going around from uh, the NFL's advanced analytics department about uh, Aaron Rodgers completing every pass that he threw that traveled fewer than 10 yards in the air. That's taking what's there. That's passing well with what's available. You got a lot of timely catches from guys like Alan Lazard and Mercedes Lewis, guys that are not necessarily primary options in this offense, but need to be counted upon when the ball comes their way. You got Devontae Adams being Devontae Adams. And the Packers were, on top of all this passing success, successful when they ran the ball, which was pretty frequently. They even did things like use A.J. Dillon in short yardage situations. They even did things like having Aaron Rodgers run a quarterback sneak on fourth and one. A quarterback sneak. A rare sight for years. But there are the Packers running it in their own territory, no less, and Aaron Rodgers picking up the first down easily. Balanced offense. Solid situational play calling. Gotta love it. Flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, I think something that happened really well there was consistent pressure on Justin Fields. Now, somehow with only Kenny Clark really operating on the defensive line, somehow with Preston Smith going down to join his fellow Smith brother, Zedarius, being injured in this one, the Packers managed to get relatively consistent pressure on Justin Fields. I'm going to use a scout term here that you, you see a lot in um, you know, scouting reports of quarterbacks leading up to draft season. But when they talk about guys getting moved off their spot, I think basically what they're talking about is what we saw with Justin Fields today. That term talks about how a quarterback can be affected by the pass rush pretty much by field. So if you're sitting back there in the pocket and suddenly you start sensing pressure and move out of the pocket, you lose quite a bit of the benefits that come, obviously, from being being in the pocket. First, you're not reading the offense from, from its designed kind of waypoint. Uh, you're exposing yourself to more hits. You're exposing yourself to just hits in general by abandoning your protection. And I think that's what we saw from Fields today. Even if he did escape for, for some pretty good scrambling yards, even if he did complete some passes once he got to the edge of the defense a lot of the times, the Packers managed to move Fields off, their, off his spot and even take him down a few times today. That's a big success, especially against an athletic quarterback. 
the Packers rushed enough to get home frequently. Finally, I think the best thing that happened today was the Packers' last real serious offensive drive. The Bears opened things up a little bit on offense in the second half, as we mentioned already in this one. Uh, They had a good drive in the second half to pull the game to 17-14 when the Packers took over with 8.44 left in the game. Four minutes and seven plays later, Aaron Rodgers is in the end zone. Yelling, I've always owned you. I still own you. To Chicago Bears fans, which you just love to see. Wanted to pull audio of that, by the way, but there's no audio clean enough for for it really to justify putting in. In more than one sense, we should add, because even if you were watching on the broadcast, you were treated to a little bit of extra colorful language from Mr. Rogers uh, after scoring that touchdown. But still, the result there was incredible. That bumped into a two-possession game with just about four and a half minutes to go, meaning the Bears needed two scores, obviously, to uh, get back into this game, even tie it, much less win it. And the drive was a great example of, of that balanced concept we're talking about. You had big plays from Devontae Adams, from Aaron Jones, from Mercedes Lewis. The Packers never faced a, fir- a third down on the drive. Seven plays, four and a half minutes, four minutes or so, a touchdown, and functionally, the game ended there with Aaron Rodgers talking about his uh, sports team ownership portfolio, which apparently now includes the Chicago Bears in addition to a piece of the Milwaukee Bucks. Not too bad. Bad things, though. There are a few bad things that came out of this game. Maybe not so good things. Maybe we've got to change that term when we talk, uh, talk recaps here because these things are not necessarily bad. Suboptimal things? Sure. Let's go with that. Josh Myers getting hurt is certainly suboptimal. Doesn't sound like the end of the world, but it's going to be uncomfortable having him gone for any amount of time. With uh, Elton Jenkins back, you might want to start thinking about him seriously at center. It's good that you have him um, at left tackle, I think, uh, all things considered. If, if everybody else is healthy, sure, put him at left tackle. But uh, if you've got Josh Nyman and you need someone to stabilize the center of the line, either at guard or at center, why not put Jenkins at center and see what happens? He is probably the best center the Packers have on the roster, even if Myers is pretty darn good, has been pretty darn good as a rookie. Put Jenkins there and just don't think about it. Obviously, you'd rather not have to go that route, but if Myers can't go for some time, Jenkins just needs to be there to give the Packers stability somewhere on the line, and I think he gives them more stability at center than he does at left tackle. Uh, Maybe you do take a step back at left tackle with uh, with Nyman there instead of Jenkins. But I think it's a, less of a step back than going from Myers to Lucas Patrick for an extended amount of time. Second negative thing I want to mention here is Matt LaFleur's proclivity for going with empty sets in obvious passing downs. There's a couple different ways that he's been doing this. One we saw today was starting with a four wide receiver set or a three receiver, one tight end set, all split out wide and then motioning a, a running back out of the backfield. LaFleur loves to do this, and I'm not entirely sure why, because it really doesn't work all that often. Today, it caused at least two sacks, and it's not the first time we've seen that outcome. Dating all the way back to his first season in Green Bay, vividly remember, I think it was the first Packers-Vikings game, third and long in Vikings territory, Packers go empty, Vikings come with a double A-gap blitz, it's either a sack or a really bad incompletion, Packers got to settle for a field goal instead of a touchdown on the drive. 
This was that again. The Packers knew they had a suspect offensive line coming into this one, yet they tried to make the offensive line work harder than I think it needed to by going empty in situations where the defense knew that the Packers were going to pass. That's a bit of a head-scratcher, and I wish Lafleur could give a satisfactory explanation for it. Finally, the Isaac Yadam Rasul Douglas situation. Really impressed with Douglas today for a guy who's been kicking around on practice squads near the fringes of the league to this point in the season. Came in and was a physical presence, uh, was not out there screwing it up for the Packers. There was obviously the boneheaded situation with the uh, with the, with the unnecessary roughness on Justin Fields when he slid. But overall, Douglas was really good, which makes me wonder why the Packers even bothered to start Isaac Yadam to begin with. He looked immediately like he couldn't handle what was going on. And as it turned out, he could not. He could not handle what was going on. Because the Bears tried to work on him early, and it worked for them. So Yadam gets benched, enter Rasul Douglas, makes you wonder why it wasn't Douglas out there to begin with. To begin with. So the Packers get their win. What does this mean? First, Packers strengthen their grip on the NFC North. The undisputed leaders of the North right now, it's going to take a couple losses for the Packers to even be in the conversation about handing over, over the lead. The Packers, more importantly, I think, have a very real, perhaps likely situation where they're going to be 6-1 and one before they get to the toughest part of their schedule, or an early tough part of their schedule. Weeks 8 through 10 sees the Packers taking on the Cardinals, Chiefs, and Seahawks. But they've stacked so many wins right now that they could go 2-1 and one or even 1-2 and two in that stretch with it not really derailing their season all that much. If you're in Week 10 and you're at 7-3, and three, you're in pretty darn good shape still, I think. So I think the Packers have done well for themselves here in the first month and a half of the season, and it's going to pay off big down the stretch, especially as they start getting healthier. Next up, the Packers take on the Washington football team at Lambeau Field, early kickoff slot that day, and the Packers will be wearing their new throwback uniforms. I'm very excited to see them on the field. Hope you are as well. Always fun when we get to see stuff like this. Uh, A couple random thoughts and observations in general. want to circle back to the officiating just briefly. Just bad in general. Packers got robbed. EQ's touchdown, Equinemia St. Brown's touchdown look like just a beautiful piece of work from a young receiver who really needs a couple wins out there on the field. Refs took it away. Uh, Same goes for Adrian Amos, taking advantage of another dumb throw from Justin Fields. Uh, But the Bears got robbed too. Uh, You had at least the Darnell Savage pick where they've got, I think, a good argument uh, for saying that someone was offsides up front. But generally speaking, just not a smoothly officiated game. Just get this stuff right. Get the basic stuff right. And it doesn't seem like there's a a real consistent effort when it comes to the officiating and straightening these things, things out. Speaking of bad officiating, this is not the ref's fault. It's the rule's fault. But I think we got to mention here just to point out just how overbearing and I guess poorly thought out in terms of game flow and player safety and stuff like that, some rules can be. On the Bears' fourth drive, Justin Fields scrambled, slid, and got hammered by Rasul Douglas. Clear 
helmet to helmet hit, even if it wasn't, that's the sort of play that you just cannot have in the game. If, if Fields is giving himself up, don't hit him. And more more to the point, you you can't hit him. It's a penalty. So it looks like they're going to be tacking on 15 yards to the end of this play. But wait, there's also a holding penalty on the Bears. And by rule, holding and the personal foul will offset, meaning we've got to reset the play or redo the down. That is stupid. That is a stupid rule. Holding is a procedural thing. It happens, you know, somewhat tongue-in-cheek here on every play. Um, you know, the, just the common complaint there that it's only when they want to call it that, that holding gets called. Holding is very common. It happens all the time. So you've got that on the one hand. But on the other hand, you've got a personal foul, one that is at least ostensibly connected to player safety. You don't want people thinking it's okay that you can just tee off on the quarterback as soon as he gives himself up. That should be obvious. And yet, the penalty's offset. You've got to replay the down. That seems wrong to me. It seems like there should be a bigger emphasis on the thing that is unsportsmanlike or unsafe. That's why that's a rule. When a guy gives himself up, you can't touch him because it would be unsafe to a greater extent than football is inherently unsafe to do so. But holding, nobody's getting hurt by holding. It doesn't seem like those should be on the same footing. Speaking of holding, maybe Royce Newman should have tried a little bit of that because it looks like he is in trouble at right guard for the Packers. From what it looked like from my vantage point on the couch at Power Sweep headquarters in Northwest Ohio, he was to blame on two sacks, uh, one by Akeem Hicks, where he just went completely unblocked, and appears just overall to be the weakest link on the Packers' offensive line, which is saying something considering the relative inexperience the Packers have had on the offensive line so far. I kind of get the sense that at this point, when David Bakhtiari does come back, which is very soon, Newman is going to be on the bench because you'll have Bakhtiari slide in at left tackle, Jenkins slide in at left guard, and maybe John Runyon Jr. jump over to right guard, displacing Newman, sending him to the bench for a little bit more seasoning. Now, there are some cases to be made for maybe Elton Jenkins jumping over to right tackle and shifting Turner inside, Billy Turner, to guard, but that's really just a, a distinction more or less without a difference. What you're trying to do in that situation is get Royce Newman on the field and get the, your your other five best guys configured as well as you possibly can. I would be in favor of whatever at this point gets Newman off the field because he's just not getting it done. It hasn't always been the case that he's not getting it done, and like better better men than him have tried and failed to contain Akeem Hicks, but it seemed like there were a couple mental errors there today uh, that were, well, just not so good. Uh, on the defensive side of things, Jalen Smith got in for a few plays but did not appear in, in the stat sheet. We, we're going to have to wait until tomorrow to see what he did as far as um, snaps or wait for Monday. It's actually Monday as I record this right now. Uh, some late-night recording here um, in the official headquarters of the Power Sweep. No big deal. Infant life, I guess. Um, but it's it, we gotta, we're going to have to wait and see what Smith's actual snap count was. Uh, 
whatever the snap count was for him, I think as long as it's keeping Ty Summers off the field and maybe taking some plays away from Oren Burks, it's a step in the right direction. I don't think Smith is the the answer there per se, but um, it's worth a shot, I guess, is what is what I'm trying to get to. Finally, uh, in a bit of a switch, the Packers got explosive plays more frequently from their run game today. Uh, as good as the, the Bears' defense is, the Packers were able to exploit it for some big chunk plays in the running game. And there were actually more runners who recorded explosive plays for the Packers than there were receivers. Devontae Adams, the only player to record an explosive play today, yesterday, whenever the game was, uh, on a big, a couple big catch and runs throughout the game. Uh, but A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones, and Aaron Rodgers, for the first time this year, recorded explosive plays as ball carriers. That is an exciting development for the Packers because it shows that more of their offense, I would say, is coming online here. And I think that's how we should look to kind of wrap up here, the how we should look at the Packers in general. They're a work in progress right now, but as people get healthy, as they sort out position groups and playing time and things like that, more and more parts of the ultimate finished product of the 2021 Packers are going to come online and be a threat to opposing teams. Today, it was the running game coming online against a pretty stout defense in general. What will it be next week? Who knows? But sooner or later, the Packers are going to get David Bakhtiari back. Sooner or later, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is coming back too. And that right there is going to to go a long way towards um, loosening up, expanding uh, what's possible for this Packers offense. I'm excited to see what those two can bring to the team when they are finally back and both ready. That's all I've got for you in this episode. I appreciate you listening in. Hope you enjoyed the Packers' second win over an NFC North opponent this season. More to come. Kind of get the sense, don't you? Uh, I think it's going to be another NFC North crown for the Packers this year, going away out on a limb there, of course. Uh, but I think they're going to do it again this year. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, I would uh, really appreciate it if you would go ahead and share it with someone you think would enjoy it as well. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you, I, and everybody else are having about the Green Bay Packers. And by getting more people involved, we'll all be smarter about all this, including me. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. Better Packers fans are what we all want to be. Hope you had a great weekend. I'm John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.